Hi, everybody, and welcome to Joint Air Christian Lifestyle, the podcast where we celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. I'm your host, Shane Fritz, and this evening is going to be a, a start of a uh, a six-part series we're going to do. This is uh, from a discipleship class that I had the opportunity to teach here at Destiny Church in Hanover, uh, PA. Uh, this was a follow-up uh, class to those who either made a fresh dedication or a rededication at the Tent Revival in Hanover, uh, the Fan the Fire Ministries Tent Revival in Hanover. And so uh, it was it was a privilege and an honor to get to teach this class Um we also had uh, not just those who had uh, newly been saved, but we also had those who had just come for a stirring up. And so we had a really good mix of people involved in the class. And uh, and that being said, this is really just raw audio. You're going to hear uh, background noise. You're going to hear conversations going on and, and getting feedback from people. Uh, but that being said, it was an awesome time we've had every week. The Holy Spirit keeps on showing up. He keeps on moving in these classes. And so we're really excited to be able to share that with you this evening and welcome you in. And really, as, as we welcome you in, we're asking that you welcome the Holy Spirit in because the same way he moved in the middle of the class, I'm sure he's going to move over the lives of people as they listen to this. And so uh, I, I, again, just welcome you. We're glad to have you here today. And until we talk again, be blessed. Enjoy. I'm in this thing 
from the outside, it looks like this, this guy's picture-perfect Christian. But the truth is that I didn't have any kind of relationship with God at all. I could put this thing frontwards, backwards, crossways. It wasn't having any impact on my life. I didn't have a relationship. I didn't have faith. So what happened was, in the midst of all that, I got this huge hole inside of me. Anybody here had a hole inside of them? Right? It's a God-sized hole. The problem is, when you already think you're checking off the God box with a religious system, right? You don't even think about looking to God. So you look everywhere else. You know, and before you know it, I was suffering with depression, anxiety. I got into my 20s. We were married. And, uh, I mean, I had an addictive personality. I mean, I, I kind of joke. It's not that I ever had a really bad drug problem. I want you to hear that right. You don't have to have a drug problem to have an addiction. But at one point, I had an addiction to addictions. I think my wife would agree with me. Like, I had a hobby of collecting hobbies. Right? I mean, I'd get going on something. I'd about run us bankrupt getting into something. And then before I even got anything out of it, I'd be on to the next thing. Always trying to fill that hole. One day in my 30s, after we had left that religious system, I was pretty well, I counted myself out of doing anything with God. Our marriage was pretty much on the rocks. I'm just going to be real transparent here. Our marriage was pretty much on the rocks. I'm a workaholic. I'm working 80, 90 hours a week because really I don't even know how to be home with my family. I'm seeing a counselor. The counselor is trying to convince me that my wife is trying to drive me insane. I think you guys know my wife's a good lady. And I remember that counselor, she knew that religion was really triggering me. And she said, what is it about the Bible that's got you so upset? And I remember spouting off something about Abraham. I said, you know, it's just so unfair. Because God acts like he wants us to be his children, and then he tells Abraham to go sacrifice the one that he promised him. And I remember her saying to me, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't finish the story. So you didn't finish the story because there was a lamb provided. All right? You guys hear me? There was a lamb provided. It was the first time I saw something out of the Bible that didn't have a religious spin on it. It wasn't an opinion provided. It wasn't a doctrine. First book of Galatians, or first chapter of Galatians, Paul says that, the gospel he was sharing, he received by revelation. I want you guys to understand something. What I'm going to share with you through the next few weeks, I received by revelation. It lines up with what the church teaches, but I received it genuinely. I'm not trying to indoctrinate you. I'm not trying to get you to think of it my way. If you look at my notes, they're printed scriptures. It was actually the same notes I was going to hand you. just got a couple of key words I want to talk about. All I'm doing is just going right off the scriptures to you guys. I'm not trying to convince you to think my way. I want you all to get fresh revelation out of this. I want you to, to understand, now I am going to speak against religion. And if, you, if you're hearing that for the first time, I want you to understand religion is just what you do out of ritual. There's no back, there's no, there's no closeness, there's no intimacy with God when you're just talking about ritual don't get into a relationship, you're never going to step into all that he has for you. I'm not saying that you won't see heaven in a religion. 
but I'm saying you won't bring heaven to earth in a religion, not to the point that he wants you to. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about how we're going to just conduct things. Like, this is pretty laid back, obviously, right? If you want drinks, there's drinks. I don't. We don't have snacks. We talked about snacks. Good intentions for next week, I think, right? Um, demand pizza. We did pizza last Friday. <laughs> Anyways. Um, that's right. I tried. We tell our kids, you get what you get, you don't get upset. <laughs> um, questions are good. Comments are good. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And if I'm, like, in the middle of something, I'll come back to it. Test. That was a test? All right. Um, I'll come back to it. What I want to ask you guys, and I know most of you guys really well, but what I want to ask you guys is if you have a question, I want you to ask questions out of a good place. And what I mean by that is we can ask lots of questions, and questions are super healthy. But you know how, like, when you're trying to drive a point home to a child, and they'll say, yeah, but what about when, and, and you know what they're doing when they, when they ask you. They already have something they're trying to prove in their question. So what, what I'm going to ask you is, if you have a question, let's do it from an open place. Let's not do it where we're um, trying to get a response to respond to. Fair enough? Awesome. So tonight, I kind of, I'm just going to jump into this um, I really felt midweek, I woke up and I felt like the Lord was mid-sentence. And uh, I didn't have like a theme picked out for the class. Um, I knew what I wanted to talk about overall through the class, but I really felt like the Lord was saying Romans 12, 1 and 2 is where I want you to take this class out of. And, um, you know, when you come to accept Jesus, and I know some of you guys are here, like, you've been in this for a while. Some of you guys just rededicated or made a fresh dedication. And when you come to Jesus, right, we always use the word surrender. Because we stop doing things our way, we stop fighting to do it our way, and we, we turn and we go his way. It's pretty awesome. But in the midst of that, on the day-to-day, it's not so much about surrendering every day, but it's about yielding. We have, we have to allow... Jesus to lead us. I think about like my car's GPS. And you know, sometimes you know how you want to drive and the GPS keeps telling you, make a right turn, make a right turn. And sometimes it just kind of keeps wanting you to make a U-turn, right? And you have the choice whether you're gonna make the U-turn or make that direction, yield to the direction of the GPS, or whether you're going to keep going your own way. Sometimes GPSs take you kind of goofy ways. Sometimes it works out in your favor. Unfortunately, GPSs aren't as good as Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't work out in your favor. But Jesus always works out in your favor. You know, when we make that dedication to Jesus, and we become our Lord and Savior, There's so much of the world that wants a Savior, but a Lord is so much different. 
Matthew 6.33, a real familiar scripture, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Look at the word kingdom. What's it really breaking down there? You can almost see the two words put together, king's dominion. If you're seeking the king's dominion, you're actually seeking the king's direction over your life. I think it's Luke that says the kingdom of God lives inside of you. So you're actually looking for that direction to come from within you as Jesus comes and makes his home in you. We all want to we all want a savior, but how many of us know there's a lot more to save if we let him be Lord also? Right? Don't worry guys, I might do a 360 jump off the chair here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I said, I, I really just felt like this was where the Lord wanted me to jump off at. I'm going to read it out of two translations. I do. sometimes, so it might be easier that way. Um, she's also going to give you a pen, um, because I'm going to have a little bit of a group activity. It's something that I just want you to do. Take it home and meditate on it, okay? Um, for Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'll let her finish here. I tried to tip you. I t- I, a million dollars. <laughs> I knew you came in the money. I, I did. start with the top one there. It's the uh, New King James Version. And Paul writes there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the first thing that jumps out to me in the scripture is the word therefore. Um, anytime we see the word therefore in scripture, it's referencing what just happened behind it. We're in 12.1, but we really we have to go back to 11 in the chapter of 11 to see where we're coming out of. And, and really, what Paul's talking about in all of Romans 11 is the fact that because of the Jews rejecting the gospel as a nation, right? It had been given to the Gentiles that the Gentiles, right, everybody else, would actually kind of call the, the Jews into reason that they would see something different happening in the Gentiles and they would actually be brought into the kingdom. So we're talking about something that carries a purpose here. He said, by the mercy of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Now, we have to understand here that the sacrifice we're making has nothing to do with the life that we've lived in the past or our sins that we commit or have committed or will commit. We look at Hebrews 10, he tells us that I can't even recall their sins, right? So the question becomes, what kind of sacrifice am I? Well, he says you're going to be a living sacrifice. But we have to understand that, in general, there were five types of sacrifices that Paul would have been familiar with. The five main sacrifice types that would have been instituted in the Jewish nation. Three of those types of sacrifices had to do with sin. Well, now we just said that Hebrews tells us that there's no longer a need for any kind of sacrifice for sin. We've had one for all time, right? We all know that. That's three of them. The fourth was a peace offering to to, uh, bring two parties together as they agreed on something. But the fifth type of sacrifice is actually the type of sacrifice he's talking about here. And that was called the grain offering. Where they would actually make a sacrifice of a loaf of bread. It was a sacrifice of appreciation for what God had done. And so, what we have to understand is that sacrifice that's been made sacrifice that we make is out of appreciation for the sacrifice that's been made. It's us giving our lives over for what he's done. Galatians 2.20, really familiar scripture, right? I've been crucified with Christ, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The living sacrifice, laying it down, being crucified allowing him to live through us and manifest through us. He goes on there, he said that you would be holy and acceptable to God. There's a big part of the church as a whole, worldwide, who is so fixated on grace and love and, and kind of like a you're forgiven and everything goes mentality. That they forget about holy and acceptable. It's not that we have to, to come to God clean. In fact, we come to Him and He cleans us up. It's really beautiful what happens here. But without, even though all that grace and love is there, and all that grace and love does, Without holy as the tension, as the counterbalance to keep grace and love in line, right? There's no way to navigate where we're at. Think about think about holiness like a lighthouse. It's the constant beacon by which we can see whether we've deviated, whether we've progressed or regressed according to his will and according to his standards. When he calls us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, he's not setting the bar too high for us. He wouldn't say to do it if it couldn't be done. 
fact, even the Old Testament, right? I think it's Deuteronomy. I'm thinking right. The scripture says, be holy as I am holy, right? So it's a reasonable service. Because on there it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Show of hands, how many people think transformed and conformed kind of look like the same word? Almost have like a real similar meaning. Well, yeah. Yeah? All right. It's kind of what I always thought. But it started puzzling me one day why very different words, even though I kind of am associating them as the same thing. Okay? So I got to looking at it. And the word there, conformed, it's got everything to do with our outside influences. In fact, the best way I guess we could illustrate conformed would either be, I would, I would probably say like water. Why don't we use water for an example, or better yet, ice. You have ice, and if you have a constant outside temperature, outside force, it stays ice. If things start to heat up around it, what happens? It gets conformed and it turns into water. If it comes in contact with a hammer, what happens? Right, we don't have ice anymore. Well, we got crushed ice. It's everything that happens because of outside forces. At the end of the day, the makeup is still the same. It's still that same molecular level. But it's all gets changed based off of what it comes in contact with. And what, what Paul's saying here, don't let that happen to you. Don't let the outside world decide who you are. What's he say here? But be transformed. So the difference between conformed and transformed is conformed has everything to do with what goes on outside of you. Transformed has everything to do with what's going on inside of you. In fact, it comes from the Greek word metamorpho. So that's where we're going to get metamorphosis, right? When I think of metamorphosis, the first thing that pops into my mind is a butterfly. In fact, like right now, we've got this butterfly bush outside of our house. I'm watching this thing full of butterflies all the time. It's pretty awesome. In fact, anybody here ever heard of a hummingbird moth? Nope. Yeah? I just learned about it, but I have one, and it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm really enjoying this thing. I found out in California for the first time, like, two months ago. Awesome. But before then, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought we had a hummingbird, but here it's a moth. And it looks just like a hummingbird. Amazing. But, you know, so we all right, so we're talking about transformation here. So I think about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Once Jesus touches something, it never can go back to being what it was before he touched it. Butterfly becomes, or a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, but if you take the wings off of a butterfly, it doesn't go back to being a caterpillar. It's totally changed. It's totally transformed. You can get a dead butterfly, but you can't get a caterpillar. 
it's what he's saying here. Allow yourself to be transformed. Let yourself be changed. I go back to that word conformed. And we're up against it all the time, aren't we? I mean, we go to work, even just like being in the community. going on social media, right? We've always got things trying to conform us, things pressing in on us, things trying to change our perspective and the way we see things. You know, I heard a lot of you guys know I, I like Dan Muller a lot. I listen to Dan Muller a lot. I just want to share this. He's been, I've heard this over the past year, he's been using this line, but it's so true. You know, if I had an orange up here and I squeezed an orange, what would you expect to come out? Juice. What kind of juice? Orange. Right. If apple juice came out, would you be surprised? Yes. Yeah. Right? But in the church, right, as Christians, sometimes we're getting pressed from every side. We've got all this stress coming in on us. Everybody's pulling us, pushing us. We're getting pressed down. We're all but crushed, right? And what happens is stuff starts coming out that doesn't look like Jesus. Sometimes stuff starts coming out that looks very opposite to Jesus. And what do we do? We make an excuse for it and say, oh, well, you know, he's just human. That's normal. Sometimes we let apple juice come out of our orange. Sometimes we got to redirect and make sure that we just have orange juice inside of our arms. That's what he's saying here. Make sure from the inside out, it's just Jesus. If it's not Jesus, we don't want it. Boy, you guys. You guys doing all right? Yeah. You all right? All right. I want to go down here. We're, we're going to read 12 verse 2 again. I want to do it out of the New Living Translation. And it just changes the wording a little bit. Um... And it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't be conformed. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I go back to that idea, right? When you come to Jesus, you surrender, but on the daily basis, you yield. And what's he say here? Let God transform you. As we go through this class, I'm just asking you to just let God do what he wants to do in you. I see you guys taking notes. That's awesome. And reflect on those notes. Think about that. So it'll transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He doesn't remodel us. He doesn't, doesn't put a paint job on a rusted out Hugo, right? Man, he takes that old car and kicks it right down the road. He brings you in a brand new Mercedes. That's what he does. He's that good. He said, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. All right, so now we're changing the way we think. What's he saying here? When we change the way we think, what are we doing? I want to challenge you guys here, because when we think, it's based off of what we see. 
it's based off of what we sense. If we're going to think different, then we've got to see different. So then you will learn to know God's will. We're good. All right. Then you will learn to know God's will. How many of us know God has a personal will for each one of us? He's got a personal plan for, for each of you. He really does. That's what I want to I want to look at tonight, and I want to talk about destiny. And we're in destiny. And thank you, Pastor Billy, for opening up destiny's doors. Yes, what I what I want to say though is this: we're going to talk about destiny, but I want you to understand I'm not talking about predestination. We all have a destiny. God has a plan for each one of us that we can step into and follow through. We yield to Him. We always have free will. There, there are some out there who will, will preach that if you're predestined, that it really doesn't matter the choices you make, you're going to end up here, there, somewhere in between, and, and you know it is what it is. That kind of uh, a mentality. It's a really dangerous slope to get on when, we, when we're talking about destiny. Because what happens is, in the midst of, of saying that we're predestined, we can give God credit for all the good, but then we also have to give God credit for all the bad. And I just don't find that in my scriptures. I want to talk about dreaming with God. We talk about destiny, but I want to talk about dreaming with God. I'd like you guys to look at, at Psalms 37 verse 4. It's right there on your page. It reads there, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, you can read this with different voice inflection, and you can pull two different things out of it. There's no punctuation there. I checked. We read it one way, looks like whatever you desire, God gives you. Right? I think that's definitely a, a, a true statement. But I think that when we look at this, we can see that God actually puts those desires in our heart. The desires that we have in our heart, the draws that God that, that we naturally have towards things, God's put them there. And so the question becomes then, are we partnering with those desires? Because God's putting them there. God's given each of us strengths. He's given both, all of us, you know, gifts, abilities. But he's put these desires to bring forth good things. So I want you guys to think about this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask this question. What are you dreaming with God? I want you guys to think about that. At some point, I'd like you to write that down, the answer to that question. What are you dreaming with God? What's he putting into your heart that you want to see come into fulfillment? Habakkuk says, write the vision and make it plain. If he's giving you dreams about something, if he's giving you desires about something, write it down. Begin to pray into it. Begin to partner with heaven. 
He didn't give them to you to let them lay dormant. He gave them to you to bring them to fruition. All right? We all good? Mm -hmm. All right. Next one I want to go to. Let's go to Psalms 139. And we're going to read uh, verses 13 through 18. It's on your page. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. Um, He says there, David writing, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. It's David saying here. Saying that God saw him even before his mom and dad. That's what he's talking about. Right? Even while he was being conceived. It says, And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Even before we're born, he's got a plan for us to step into. How precious also are your thoughts to me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. How great is the sum. He's checking up on us. How great is the sum? It says that God's thoughts for us number more than the, the grains of sand on a seashore. Imagine, anybody ever pick up a handful of sand? And you look at that as it runs out of your hand. How could you ever even keep track of one handful? And his thoughts for us number even more than that. Even more than all the sand. From even before we were born, before we were conceived. The Jeremiah 1 5 listed there for you also. It says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Even that, that he can take somebody and not just, not just know the plan for them, but actually have the appointment set for them to step into. Maybe that maybe that is ministry, but maybe that's politics. Maybe that's business ownership. There's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, there's a whole lot of need for people, for God-fearing people, for good Christians to step into the political realm. There really is. Go to Ephesians 2. We'll go to Ephesians 2. We're going to read verse 10. And then I'm going to back up and I'm going to read a good bit. Um, but Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus 
so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created us for the purpose, and he made a means to, to accomplish that person. He says we are his masterpiece, his workmanship. You, know, you think about a craftsman, a skilled, you know, a skilled craftsman, an artist, somebody that brings something forth with time and effort. That's what it's talking about here, that he put that into each one of us. We jump back one chapter, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians one. I'm going to go through this, and then, and then we're going to look at some other stuff here. But Ephesians one, we'll look at verse three. It says, "All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ." Even before he made the world, God loved us. I want you just to think about that for a minute. Even before he made the world, he loved us. Our plans for us were already set in place before the earth was even formed. And chose us in Christ to be, what? Holy and without fault in his eyes. We talked about that. The living sacrifice presented holy. He made the way so we could be holy. What happens, though, if we also really step into this? You know, we can read we can read these scriptures and they sound awesome. What happens, though, when we step into that second part there and we start understanding that we are without fault in his eyes? that's where most Christians defeat themselves. I'm just being real about it, right? Who knows that? I talked about it a little bit last Friday night. Regret. Regret is a bully. Regret is a tool of the devil. And the devil's a liar. He wants to tell you over and over and over again that that moment defines you. That that experience defined you, that relationship defined you, your childhood defined you, your parents and what they came out of defined you. He wants to keep on making sure you think about that and it's in your ear all the time. All of a sudden we're beating ourselves up. Monday through Saturday and we get to Sunday and we're at the altar and we're bawling our eyes out. It's, you know, come on, we've all been there, we've all done it, Right? about how we see ourselves. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Right? That's what the scripture said. Change the way you think. Change the way you see. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Do you see yourself in what Jesus has done for you? We're going to go off the rails here. I don't think you're going to need the rest of it of your scriptures tonight. Would you guys flip over with me to Hebrews 10? Some of you guys have heard me go through Hebrews 10 before. But, um, 
we got to lay hold of Hebrews 10. If you're there, I'm going to start looking in verse 16. That if there's one set of scriptures that says, you are a liar, it's this set of scriptures right here. And if there's one set of scriptures that we can put our hands on and take hold of and grip and hang on to, it's this set of scriptures that will change the way you see things. Verse 16 says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. The transformed mind, renewed, right? As God's law is written on it. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. doesn't say that he's keeping track of them in case you mess up again. doesn't say, I'm not counting them against you, but I'm not forgetting them either. Says I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. He's not counting it against us. Doesn't matter how often you mess up. Doesn't matter how often I mess up. Now it's not an excuse to live there. But there's a freedom and knowing that we're not in a constant kind of debt collection, right? Where he's calling for payment on the sin you just made. Now, he's not even counting them as they come in. There's freedom. He says in verse 18, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. We have one sacrifice once and for all for sins blood of Jesus covered it all, been applied to every one of us, been made effective through our surrender and our yielded life that we live. No need to offer any more sacrifices, and yet we're called to do what? To be a living sacrifice out of gratitude. It goes on there, verse 19, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. You guys, everybody here understand that the writer here this language he's using, most holy place, curtain, this is all um, this is all referencing to the temple in Jerusalem. Everybody good? The most holy place was where the priest could go once a year. Once a year. Had to go through all kinds of, you know, cleansing processes and, and special garments and everything else. And he would go in and the mercy seat was there, and he would apply the blood on the mercy seat. And for one year, sins would be forgiven. And while he was in there, right, he would ring a bell, right? Come on, guys. 
he would ring a bell. Why? Because if he had done something wrong, they wanted to know that he was dead in there. Right? But we're talking about this symbolism. We're talking about the curtain, right? There was a veil that covered the most holy place that he could only enter at one time. Anybody remember how thick the veil was? Yeah. Six inches? Am I right? Yeah, like two tons. Yeah. <laughs> the thing was ridiculous. You know, and we have, you know, in the account, right, Jesus gives up his life finally, and what does the veil do? The veil tears. There's no accidents. He wasn't coming and dying on the cross to get you into heaven. He was dying on the cross to get you back in the family, to get you back into a relationship. The scriptures say that he was the last Adam, restoring everything the first Adam lost. First Adam had relationship. First Adam walked with God. That's what he's talking about here. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into his presence. With sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So the high priest was the only one who could go in to the Holy of Holies. But now we have a high priest, right? We have Jesus. You know, God really, I mean, and some of you guys have probably heard me say this before, but God foolproofed this thing for us, right? I mean, He really did. Like, can you imagine being the sacrifice and the high priest? And yet that's exactly what we have here. Of course he's pleased with himself. Right? And he did it so we could go boldly before the throne into the presence of God. But sometimes, right? Sometimes we find ourselves back there with those regrets. We we find ourselves back there thinking about yesterday and this and that and this person said this and I used to do that and I was this and that. I mean, can I tell you guys really, really plainly, for about a year after I got radically saved, my wife would look at me and say, who are you? She would. I didn't even know what to do with that. She just, she, out of the blue, she who are you? Let me tell you one thing. She probably wasn't looking for the old husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens, though. We have to let that old person die. And we talked about Galatians 2, too, right? I've been co-crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but him who lives in me. I'm going to quote somebody else right now. I've heard... uh, Bill Vanderbush made this quote a while back, and he said, some of us are using our supernatural powers to keep resurrecting the man who was supposed to leave in the tomb with Jesus. 
some of us keep going to the altar getting prayer and we're getting delivered we're getting set free and then before we leave we pick up that chain and walk back out the door with it there's more for us guys to go boldly before the throne Jesus didn't just spill his blood for us look at this what it says here our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood you think about this. Jesus came in and personally applied his blood on our hearts so that guilt, shame, and condemnation could be pulled off of us forever. All right, 23 goes on. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day is ret- the day of his return is drawing near. He's literally telling us, you got to make sure, i got to make sure that if Sam ain't looking too good, that I go over and say, Sam, what's going on? Hey, don't, listen, you're not defined by that anymore. 